Welcome to Peach Creek, the cafe, where you can order your favorite drink, sit at our table, and listen to some slightly intense but definitely worthwhile conversations, a podcast where you can drink, listen, and converse. Today, I'm joined the cafe by Devin. Say hello to the people, Devin. What's going on, guys? I'm Devin. <laughs> if you've been with us or are new to us, this podcast centers around friends, enemies, or newly formed acquaintances meeting at a cafe, having their favorite drink, and engaging in conversation. I'm currently enjoying a cup of coffee. And what are you drinking on, Devin? I'm also drinking what you could call a cup of coffee, but it's like coffee, but on steroids. All right, this is this is something on another level. It's called Dandy Blend. All right, so Dandy Blend. If you are over the tw- age of 21, you can grab your favorite adult beverage. And if you're under the age of 21, grab you some water, some tea, some coffee, apple juice. Who drinks apple juice? What is your target audience here, man? <laughs> All right, let's get into the conversation. Oh, Jesus Christ. Why you say Jesus Christ? I right, sign up for this. All right. <laughs> so, what's on the menu today at Peeps Creek? <laughs> Coming up. On the menu today is, are you really a victim? And for those of you who don't know, the menu is the topic of the day. Mm. All right, David, before we get into this topic, which is something that you actually wanted to talk about, right? Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about you. So who are you, Devin? Sure. So um, my name's Devin, and I'm from Jersey City, New Jersey. Um, today, I'm drinking this Dandy Blend, which is basically coffee, but not coffee. It's made from burnt dandelions, and um, that's about all. I read some reviews on that, and it said it's nasty, but go ahead. It's not nasty at all. See, this is like made for people trying to get off coffee, like myself, right? You know, I had an addiction to every single morning. I needed coffee until I started drinking this. So this is not a sponsorship, by the way. I know you think it is, but we're not even really big enough to be having sponsorships. <laughs> Touche, right? Uh, that being said, it's actually good stuff. I highly recommend it. It's available on Amazon. And um, yeah, probably one of my favorite things to drink. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I am in college um, trying to become a firefighter. And that's about all. Wait, you're going to school for firefighting? Yeah, fire science. That's my major. Fire science? Yeah, so it's science. Oh, science. fire science. Yeah, okay, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's got nothing to do with science, but they're just trying to get STEM funding. Okay, so you don't... That's really all it is. Like, you're not trying to be a fire inspector where you determine how fires start. No, so I'm not that smart. No kind of science related at all. Not really. You know, it's, it's a lot of drills and a lot of strategy and tactics discussion, but nothing so much about science in itself. So. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting field, though, and uh, I really enjoy it. All right. Well, keep up the yeah, good Matt work. Yeah, Beer. Happy to have you. All right. So today we are actually recording on President's Day. That is Monday, February the 17th. Is that accurate? Um. Yeah. <laughs> I just check for a second myself. <laughs> all right. So let me, let me do a little fun fact for you all. Listen. Mm-hmm. All right. So... President's Day actually started in the early 1800s, right? It started as George Washington's birthday, a celebration of his birthday. It became a federal holiday in what year, Devin? No idea. (laughs) A federal holiday in 1879. Then Rutherford B. Hayes signed it into law on 1885. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It was only 
for the District of Columbia. Then, in 1971, based upon the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, Congress decided it was a way to give its federal workers more three-day weekends and decided to change it to the third Monday of February and then call it a celebration of all President's Day. And that's how we got President's Day. Did you know that? Um, no, I did not. See, the more you know, sir. And guess what? The George, more you know. The George Washington. George Washington was the first person to have a national holiday named after him. And who is the second and only other person? Um, I'm okay. Exactly, Martin Luther King. That's right. And do you know that even though it's a federal holiday, that there are actually Man. some southern states who on that day decided to call it Confederate, Confederate Day and a way of protest. Did you know that? Wow. No, I did not. Mm-hmm. See? Miles. Yeah. See? Mm-hmm. Look into it. I'm, I'm trying to help you out here. I'm trying to act like this is interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. It's important for you to know these things because that's where we are. All right. So let's move okay. to the menu. The menu is the topic. Are you really a victim? And this is something that Devin actually wanted to do. So Devin, you're going to mm-hmm. go ahead and kick off this conversation. Why did you want to do this? Yeah, this is um the reason I brought this up. You know, obviously we have to think about this stuff before we come here, right? What are we supposed to talk about? It's more difficult than than you might think. Um, but this is something I've been noticing a lot lately. Not only on social media, on a college campus like where I go, but man, it certainly feels like socially speaking, if you're not a victim or oppressed by something, your opinions on matters lose weight or um they simply just just don't matter at all and so we started talking about this a bit right what is why is that the case why does that feel like it's the case and i started realizing me and sean as we were discussing it you know we've got some contrasting opinions on this kind of thing and so i wanted to kind of bring the same conversation that we were having to you because i think it's important to talk about right obviously sean and i have a very different backgrounds we're from different places and so I want this to be something that everybody can see and say, hey, where do I fit into this? Mm -hmm. And um, when you really start to think about it, from my side of things, um, I think that it's really unproductive in any way. Let's say you are actually oppressed, right? Or you are actually a victim of something or someone, right? Uh Uh-huh. The longer that you you give it that power over you and you consider yourself a victim, the longer you are one, right? But 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 what are you saying? A victim about what? Right. So it could be a couple of things. Some of the examples I was bringing out was in politics, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So many college students, especially, that are really, really angry about uh, whoever's the president, right? Or whoever's a politician in their local area, right? Or what their policies mm-hmm. are, how racist this person is, and how this person is essentially ruining their life. Like, ah, oh, this is just the worst. I can't do anything because this guy's president. And in my head, I'm thinking, it doesn't really matter. This guy president, you're talking about you're talking about Trump. Yeah, yeah. In my head, I'm thinking it Okay, why 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 doesn't it matter? I, I think if you're a college student that's just going there to learn and to get a job and to set them set themselves up for their future, I don't think Trump's doing anything, practically speaking, that's gonna stop you from doing that or that's gonna hurt your ability to do that. So why are you specifically so angry? And I can understand if you're specifically impacted by a certain policy, that's fine, right? You can have an issue with a policy. You can have an issue with somebody's argument. But you're saying, hey, I don't like the guy who's the president. He sucks because X, Y, Z, even though his personality or you know something horrible that he says doesn't truly affect your life. It, it just makes you maybe a little angry. Um, you know why even give it so much attention? Why even give it so much power over you? You know why do you? I mean, but but but, but isn't that part of 
been a citizen, like you have the ability to engage in politics for a reason. Politics are here for a reason. People vote for politicians for a reason. And so if that politician is, you know, immoral in your opinion or an opposite of what you believe, why shouldn't you be upset about it? And why shouldn't you say something about it? Now, there are a lot of policies that yeah. Trump has created that directly affect students. Look at Betsy DeVos or whatever the hell her name is in the education department. She knows absolutely nothing about it, but she's trying her best to tear down the whole student loan program. They're even thinking about trying to remove the forgiveness, loan forgiveness program. These directly affect a lot of students, not just students of color, not just minor, other minorities, not just poor individuals, but it could affect even those well off. So, I mean, why do you think that essentially what I hear you say is that students should basically just shut up, go to school, learn and prepare themselves for the future? I think that, oh, I mean, by all means, you're welcome, right? You got free speech, you know, say what you want. And, and obviously there's nothing wrong with criticizing a politician if that's what you want to do. I'm saying in terms of right. your actual success in life, it's not going to get you very far, right? Internally? Are you talking about like being upset, angry internally? People shouldn't be upset. If you don't like something, you don't like something, right? You differ in opinion on an argument. That's fine, right? We, we differ in opinion and, and arguments with so many politicians, but we don't lose our minds over it. We don't act like it's, it's ruining our lives. Like, oh, I just, you know, once this president's out, my life is going to be so much better. No, it's, it's really not. You know, once he's out... You'll find the next person to say, oh, I'm a victim of them or they're oppressing me and that's why I can't move forward in life. You know, at some point you just have to say, hey, this is how things are. I might not like them and I'm welcome to voice them or do something practical to change them better yet. Right. If you're going to do that, then I think that's worthwhile. Um, but if you're just going to go there and be triggered about it and and use that as an excuse for having a crappy life, you're not going to get very far. And I think that's where a lot of college students find themselves um, you know, using college as a place to spread their opinions, which is good and well, but not actually using it to further the lifestyle, right? To get their education and get a job because they're caught up in the social aspects of it, right? The protests and... Okay, well, let me ask you yeah. this question. You're going, to, you're going to school for fire yeah. science. Now, are there things about the school you don't like? Sure. Policies? Yeah, the janitor sucks. Okay, but do you do you voice your opinion about it at all? Not really. No, not in that case. I mean, are there any policies that you don't like in school that you voice your opinion about? I mean, some things could be done better, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, quite frankly, the place needs a lot better maintenance, right? Some parts of it are on apart. They get dirty, hence why I bring up the janitor. Um, and mm -hmm. no one really bothers because obviously there's a lot of messy stuff going on in the sense of, you know, you got dirty boots and nasty clothes and, and everything like that. And people run droves. So the place gets dirty, which I understand. Do I care that much? No, because at the end of the day, I take off my gear. I go home, I take a shower. You're right. In this case, I could go to the board. I could get some students on my side and I could say, Hey, this isn't right. You know, we need to make this place cleaner and maybe I'm justified. Maybe that's correct. Maybe it should be better. But honestly, it's not worth my spit. Do you realize, though, like, but for, I, I'm just going to take it back to, from a historical con context. I'm African-American. You're not. Okay. Right. Sure. But for the fact that African-Americans rally together, protest so that, A, they can actually go on campus and go to an institution, we could still be in a situation yeah. where I could not go to school because I didn't look the way that the school wanted me to look. Like, there were folks who were blocked and beaten just to try to go to class like but for students finding their voice and college is the an opportunity for people to find their voice find their passion take for instance the florida shoot
shooting. Those students, high school students, yeah. they rallied together to make a point. My son, he walked out of his school in protest for that same reason. Not because I told him. It was something that he was passionate about, something that he wanted to do, and I supported that. I don't mean to be callouser, but I want to ask you something. What did those protests do? For which one? The black protest? Oh, no. For the Florida shooting. I don't know what it did locally. I mean, here in Virginia, it did a lot because the legislators were based upon a lot of students taking action and a lot of parents contacted their their legislators they put bills in place to try to do that i mean it's a good it's a democratically controlled congress house and the governor so maybe they will pass something did it solve the problem no but awareness is important see i i get what you're saying here in terms of i think this becomes a it's kind of like a way to pander to in a sense right i'm raising awareness about blah 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 by doing something that really has nothing to do with practically solving the problem mm -hmm. right you're just maybe drawing attention to it but that doesn't mean you're doing something you can go in march and that, that's that's good and well you know tell the government how you feel but i guess you mm -hmm. get some publicity, but you're not actually doing anything to solve the problem. You're just saying, I'm outraged, which I guess has its place. I think you're right. It does have its place, protests and whatnot. But I think much more important is providing practical solutions that can be implemented. Like, here's what I want to see and here's how I think it can be done. But but the students were doing that and it's up to individuals to listen and it's up to individuals in power that they actually can turn it into the solution. Well, it's got to be something viable, right? A lot of these students call for an outright gun ban. That's just never going to happen, probably. Man, that is not accurate. Many of them have suggested it they did not assault assault weapons yes why do you need an assault weapon in your house okay so why do you need to to have that i think that is a viable solution this is something i want to talk about as well now what we have legally that's being used in pretty much all these shootings are not assault rifles they're not assault rifles they're armalite rifles like an ar-15 is not an assault rifle people think that stands for assault rifle it's armalite rifle right correct what i'm saying here is that in that sense an ar-15 is no different from a from a glock other than in the sense that it, it looks a little more scary and it's easier to carry and it's easier to aim and shoot but other than that it fires at the same rate handgun would. All right. Well, I I hear you. Um, obviously, we might have a, a area of disagreement that we're not sure. going to um, solve here. But let's move to the next area. So in our discussions um, that we were having, one of the things that you brought up is something about biracial yeah. individuals. And you're saying that it's been biracial, the new it. Like, is that the new <laughs> it thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think you, you know, you have some strong opinions about that. So right. let's let's talk a little bit about that. I, I want to ask you something here too. Yep. Um, as someone who hears opinions from a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, do you weigh their opinions differently based on who they are? Um, yes, I think so, depending on the circumstance. So give me an example. So if I am listening to someone, let's just say a workplace issue. If I'm listening to someone weighing in on a matter that they have absolutely no knowledge about, then yes, I'm going to weigh their opinion less heavily than I would with someone who knows about the situation or someone who's giving me something secondhand versus firsthand. I'm going to weigh that differently. Now, if the question is, do I weigh individuals differently based upon their race and ethnicity, mm. um, then that's a different question. It depends on the situation. It depends on the circumstance. So, so let's put it this uh -huh. way. Let's say two people make identical arguments. Mm -hmm. They're equally sourced, equally well-cited, equally uh, accurate or inaccurate, right? Uh -huh. Now, does your perception of their arguments change? Because let's say one of the people making the argument is half black. One of them is um, 
is is not one of them's Chinese or one of them's white. You know, does that even if the arguments are identical, do you view them do do you view them any differently? I mean, I think that that's difficult to just put an answer to. I think it depends. Now, if there was a sourcing, the citing, and all of that was identical, and they make the exact same arguments, maybe not necessarily. However, if it's something that's related to one's particular culture, I probably would weigh the individual who's in that culture a little differently than I would someone not in the culture, because there are certain attributes and certain things culturally that that person experienced that someone not in that culture doesn't understand and won't experience. So I think it bear, it, it depends. I hear you, but there's like, there's a lot of black people, right, that really don't know much about black history in the sense that they don't take the time to study or they don't bother to learn about it and um and they don't really know about it i i suggest you tread very lightly with this conversation before i cut you right on up but go ahead yeah now here's why i say this right i uh for firefighting for the fire science degree you have to take an institutional racism class Mm -hmm. um and one of the classes that you can take to cover your institutional racism credits is um an african-american history class so i took that i had a great professor um and i really enjoyed the, the class i was really interested in it you know i, I tried hard i paid attention uh-huh. and i learned a lot mm-hmm. now probably 75 percent of the class was black right there's me and one other white guy a hispanic here and there um maybe an asian mm-hmm. but there were a lot of black kids in that class right or people my age who who paid like no attention who didn't try and who didn't who didn't seem to know anything about uh what the professor was talking about nor did they care to learn they just sat there on their phone or you know did whatever right so now going out of this class like i've learned a ton of stuff because i i i tried a lot in this class you know um i learned a lot of stuff i benefited from it now, on the other hand someone who's black who didn't pay attention in a class about um about black history now how credible am i versus them you know in an argument let's say about racism or mm-hmm. affirmative action who's more credible well that's but- but that doesn't give you more credence or more credit because you paid attention. Because no. there are things that me as a black person experience that you would never experience, no matter how you look at it, no matter how informed you may be, no matter how much research you put in it, you're not going to be able to walk in my shoes ever, point blank, period. So there are things that I experience that that's part of who I am. And I don't care if I took a class or not, that you don't get to tell me that that's not racism because you studied it. Mm. Or you don't get to tell me that institutional racism doesn't exist. I mean, you can argue that, but you're not going to experience it necessarily the same way I experienced it or someone else experienced that's not you. Um, And yes, granted, maybe they didn't pay attention, but you don't know, do you? Did you have a conversation with them? Did you ask them why didn't you participate? I mean, like they they did horribly on the tests and stuff, not gonna lie. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they don't care about the subject. I don't know. Right. So this this is what I bring out, right? Some black people probably just don't care about black history. Just like some white people know nothing about what white people have done over the years, right? They're clueless. On, on history, right? So I wouldn't say, um, hey, you can only know, you can only speak on black history if you're black. Well, who, who's, who's saying that? No one is saying that. No one's saying you can only speak on it if you're black, but I think we'd admit you'd view what I say about a black history differently from what a black kid says about black history. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think I, if you say something, A, that I think is well-researched, I think is accurate, I think it's a good um, opinion, mm-hmm. I will 
I will listen to it. Now, it depends on how you say it. Now, if you come off as being right. dismissive or disrespectful, I don't care how correct you are, we're going to have a problem. But <laughs> that's about the delivery, not necessarily yeah. the fact that you are not Black talking about Black history. You, one of the things that you mentioned about mm -hmm. this biracial issue is you said, you know, is it like a badge of honor or... Does it make you more woke than someone who is not biracial? So, I mean, where does yeah. that stem from? And why do you think that is something that is going on? Right. I think on college Trump, this is kind of getting into the intersectionality argument, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that depending on... Um, how oppressed you are or what groups you fall into that are so-called you know victim groups or are actually victim groups based on that your you know your opinion is relative right so essentially based on how much you've been mm -hmm. um discriminated against or you think you've been discriminated against or you claim that um it's to that level that your argument will be taken seriously so being biracial i think at least on college campuses is often yeah it's worn as a trophy like hey i'm not white uh-huh you know so because of that you should listen to what i have to say on this even though that means nothing right or um or look i'm uh i'm half asian so i can talk about this and i'm educated on it or i'm half indian or i'm half uh half black so i can talk about this okay and i can understand what those people are talking about when in reality i, I don't think it makes you more aware or i don't think your opinion on even a racial matter um has more weight because you are you know ethnically diverse but why not why not well i'll give you an example right so in my case i'm half indian right my mom's indian my dad's italian so now does that mean that compared to your run-of-the-mill 100% straight white male, does my opinion on a racial matter matter more than his? Because there's no way he's been discriminated against, but surely I can find a way um, to talk about how I was discriminated against, or my mom was discriminated against, so on and so forth, right? So does that make my argument worth more than his? I don't think so. I think he might have gone through things too. I think he he might have um, been looked down upon uh, in different parts of his life too. And on the flip side of that, I could have been brought up very in a very privileged environment, you know, in a rich neighborhood with a with a lot of friends and no problems and you know loving parents and everything. And um, I don't think it's my race or me being biracial that that changes anything about my experiences. But David, there there has to be. You have to. Uh, your mother is Indian, right? There are things in the Indian culture that she knows, and I'm sure that she passed down to you. Right. And and I'm sure that it's something that you can speak with authority on because that's something that is part of your heritage, part of your upbringing. If a white person or even a black person tries to come and speak to you or tell you something about your culture that you sit in and understand and try to make it seem like it's wrong, I'm sure you will have some level of authority. Not, it's not because you are biracial, it's because that's your culture. And whether that is you are mixed or not, there is a level of authority that you can speak with for being in, in that. Like, there's nothing that I can say about your culture, the Indian culture, that I can say I know more about at this moment. I don't know. I, I, I guess I would defer to you because I presume that you're knowledgeable enough, A, and that you have those experiences in your culture that you can give me some, some knowledge on it. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but 
I'm not sure people are actually walking around, hey, I'm biracial and I have more authority. I think it's the inverse. It's the fact of trying to walk in two different shoes sometimes and not understanding where you fit in in either culture. I think that's more prevalent than, hey, I'm black and white and so I'm more woke than you. I, I, I just don't think that's, that's happening. And if it is, I think it's a minority. I mean, maybe you've experienced it more than I have, but I just, I don't see that. Yeah, so you're saying in terms of if you're biracial, you know, you probably understand the struggle of not really fitting in into one culture, you know, or one kind of music. If you are entirely in one culture and both of your parents are, then you kind of know, socially speaking, where you go right where you fit in you got your you got your group and when you're biracial you kind of have to decide how do i balance the two or do i just go with one or the other something entirely different right what culture do i want to adopt that i can understand right that can be challenging boy you're gonna cause me to have to change my coffee into a adult beverage in a minute <laughs> what i'm gonna say here though is that i do think um in terms of making arguments about politics or race like let's say let's say you're a trump supporter right mm -hmm. which i'm not but go ahead no right which i'm not or you're not but let's say uh let's say i'm a trump supporter i say trump isn't racist he's a good president mm -hmm. and i'm white we're gonna say or at least many would say, I'm going to tell you here, um, oh, well, he's just a racist white man and he just follows this president's rhetoric because, you know, he's privileged and this president is essentially helping him out and making his life even more easier than it already is. He's uh, he's feeding into the patriarchy. Not only is he white, okay. but he supports someone who advocates for white privilege, as they put it. So he's not admitting his privilege. Instead, he's supporting somebody who they think is even worse, right? Who's even more racist. Now, on the other hand, let's say uh, you're a black person who's a Trump supporter. Now, the rhetoric changes a little bit. See, now people say, well, how could you support Trump? He's so racist, right? And you're black. Surely you'd be able to see that, right? And this is a big thing with a lot of black people that are Trump supporters. They say, well, I never got so much hate or got so many, got called so many names or called racist um, or people said I was disowning my culture until I became a Trump supporter. Okay, so first of all, I despise Trump. So let me, let me just make my bias very clear. I do not like him at all. I think he's a horrible person. I do think he's a racist. I think that he has a lot of racist practices throughout his fucking career that indicates his desire to not be supportive of minorities, point blank, period, the end. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I do not like them. Um, and what bothers me about individuals who support them, black, white, green, orange, Hispanic, or what have you, is that they make excuses for his behavior. And so I can be okay with someone clearly pointing out economic policies is what I care about. But when you refuse to acknowledge the shortcomings and the shortfalls that he has as an individual, it's problematic. There has never been, at least in my time, there has never been a president that has gone after individuals personally trying to fucking destroy their life over stupid shit. I've never seen anyone be able to make such blatant racist comments and grouping individuals as, as this guy. And so it's very frustrating. I don't think, I don't care. I mean, if I... If I have black friends who are Trump supporters, we're going to have a problem. Yes, we are. Because I don't see how you can support that even with the economic policies. I don't care whether you're Democratic. I don't care whether you're Republican. I support both if they if they align with me morally and they align with what I think. Um, I just don't see how any black person support. Right. No, that's a stance a lot of people have. But I think I think it's an interesting one, right? Because it's viewed as 
if you're black, you should know better, right? You should understand what he's doing and how it affects, uh, how it affects your people, and um, and you should be able to see that he's racist. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the white person, it's just well, you're racist, so of course you'd go with him, right? Well, I, I, but I I'm not saying that about white folks. Who I have I have colleagues who support Trump, and now I question some of the reasons why, um, because I felt like they're more intelligent enough to be able to decipher through his his rhetoric and his bullshit to know at the heart who he is. But ultimately, they, they are staunch Republicans, and that's what they want to go to, and that's fine. I don't think they're racist because they support him. I just don't agree with them, but I don't think they're racist. I don't think a white person is racist because of that. Now, there are a lot of white folks who, as a, as a result of him being in office and as a result of his rhetoric, you see their racist tendencies come out. But, I mean, yeah, maybe there are people who say you support Trump, you're racist, but I don't think the majority of folks are saying that. I think the majority of folks are pissed at white folks, black folks, Hispanics who support him blindly. And I think that's a difference. Like, yes, I supported President Obama. I didn't like everything he did. If there were policies that he implemented that I thought was a drag on the economy, it would piss me off. But the one thing that I would say is that Obama was held to a different standard than Trump. Trump can do, say whatever the hell he wants. And if President Obama did a modicum of what Trump has said, this country would be fucking throwing all kind of flags everywhere and it's double standards so can someone be an educated black man who knows everything about what's going on you know they they see what's happening in the news they see what trump says they understand what he means by it they're educated on his policies um they understand who his support base is and they still support him. i mean they're not ignorant because there are many black trump supporters who are you know well educated on what he does and they support him adamantly yeah no i i mean i i get you but i i think it, it it creates a situation where you're trying to lump a lot of people into one group and one category. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Look around and Trump's cabinet. Who's black there? Uh, can't name one. Exactly. Yeah, I can't think of one. When you when you see his his rallies, there's always one or two black people mm -hmm. there. It's almost as if they're plants. They're plotted there. It's like token. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, and so I think individuals need to be to wake up and realize that they are being used. Yeah, what I mean to say here is that, so this is the thing, right? If a black person supports Obama or even Hillary Clinton or something, mm -hmm. even though the majority of people who support even those candidates, like let's say a Bernie Sanders or um, a Pete Buttigieg in this election would be white. Let's say you're at a Pete Buttigieg rally. Everyone, mostly everybody's going to be white, but there's going to be a few black people sprinkled in, right? Mm -hmm. So... No one seems to say, well, they're just token black people. They're just planted there to make him seem not racist. But in the case of Trump, it changes. In the case of Trump, you see the black guy and you say, well, they're just there because he had to have a black guy there. Devin, it's the manner in which it's done. You don't see, you did not see Hillary Clinton's campaign. Plotting black folks there, panning on on them, making, bringing them on stage, making them look stupid. You didn't see them do that. <laughs> so it's the manner in which it's done. It's obvious it is clear to anyone that that's what Trump does when he's at his rallies. You cannot compare them to a Pete Buttigieg. Now, Pete Buttigieg has his own issue with African-Americans. You can't put that on Bernie either. You don't see them plucking people out of the audience, bringing them on stage, making them look stupid. But are their supporters 
just tokens because there are a few black people in the midst of a sea of white people? No. So why does that change with Trump? Why can't a black person genuinely believe in Trump's policies and feel that they're beneficial for the country and their family? Why can't that be the case? But no one is no one is saying that is not the case. No one is saying that that's impossible. That's not what anyone is saying. I've never said that. A black person can genuinely like Trump, like his policies. Now, I question why. But that's my own personal business. They can certainly do it. They have whatever right they want to support whomever they want. What I'm so then, in what sense are they just tokens? The campaign is using them as tokens. The manner in which they do it. Yeah, I, I see what you mean here. It does feel like the Trump administration and the support base as well jumps on every opportunity um, to publicize uh, a black support figure, especially if they're a public figure. Like when Kanye West came out and, and says he liked some of the things Trump has done. Oh my goodness, you know, the Trump supporters went wild. That was the biggest dub they'd taken in, in the last couple of years. You know, to have a public black figure, a black man come out and say, I like Trump, I like his policies. That makes you feel justified. That makes you say, oh, well, then Trump can't be racist because Connie likes him. Look at him. Look at that. It gives you a talking point, right? It, I think it's a symptom of an inherent racist mentality to say, um, hey, we, we found one, right? We got a celebrity. We got a black guy who supports Trump. You know, look at us. Counted on the scoreboard. This is where I, I, I do see where you're saying because that practice is it reflects an overall mentality of like, hey, as long as we can just get a couple black people on our side, we can, uh, that's enough to say we're not racist, which obviously is, is not the case. And this goes back to this whole uh, diversity argument that we were having back and forth. Like, one of the things you were saying is that, you know, you don't need to be, you don't need diversity. Why can't I go to a university and it's all white folks or all this and still learn? Like, diversity is is important. It It is the manner in which our our country is currently. It's a diverse country. And if you only have a certain subset of individuals in a classroom, you only have that opinion. So take, for example, I went to law school, University of New Mexico. My class was the largest African-American class. It was like 10 of us. Okay. Now, there, it is also heavy Native American in that school. Diversity was important there because we're in class and individuals are talking about Justice Sotomayor changed the color barrier and, you know, kind of made the panel more diverse. And it's like I was in the class and I'm like, no, that's not accurate. The first person was Thurgood Marshall. And then you had Clarence Thomas. That's a different story. Right. But yes, and Sotomayor is an important aspect of making that bench more diverse. But it was having a black person in there, in the room, who's able to stand up and speak about the culture. And the same thing, like I learned, I learned a lot about Native American culture from being in a class with a lot of Native Americans. And even when Justice Scalia came to our school that did a speech, it was clear he knew absolutely nothing about Native Americans, yet all of his opinions denigrated and took away rights from Native Americans. How do you do that if you don't know anything about the culture? And so that's why diversity is important, in my opinion. I will say I agree with you that diversity can be beneficial. You know, it opens your eyes to um, other ways of, of living life, right? Other methods of doing things or thinking about things. And I've seen this in my family too. You know, my mom looks at things from a different angle because of her culture. And, um, and and I think there can be a benefit to that, yeah, in the in, a, in the business world too. That being said, I think when you start to force diversity or you try to regulate diversity, it becomes 
uh, ingenuine, right? And this is kind of moving into affirmative action, right? So why does diversity need to be forced? I think if it happens, it happens and you can learn from it and maybe it can be a positive thing, but I don't think it's something that needs to be imposed. This is kind of getting into equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome, right? I don't think this is something where you need to guarantee the outcome. Um, I don't think diversity is that important that you need to you know, guarantee that outcome, even though it can be beneficial. So, I mean, I hear you. I, I, I can appreciate where you're saying that forced diversity is disingenuous. And so therefore the results, um, is not going to be as productive. I, I, I can understand that I can appreciate that, but, um, I think fundamentally, though, there is truly a misperception about affirmative action. Affirmative action is not about having the same number of chess players on the board, meaning having 50 white folks and 50 black folks in the classroom. That's not what affirmative action is about. Affirmative action is really, truly supposed to create a situation where the environment where you sit, that the inside of that organization, whether it's a, a company, whether it's a school, should look like the community in which it sits. And a lot of this comes to, from the fact that a lot of African Americans, a lot of Hispanic students, I, I think they're has been studied after study that there are things about them, their school and their upbringing that precludes them from having some of the privileges that white folks have. You can have a school system in the same state, but a school system in Detroit, for instance, where I grew up, is not going to have the same materials that a school system in Dearborn, which is like 30 minutes away, is going to have. And so you create a system where you already set hundreds and hundreds of individuals up for failure. And so affirmative action is a process, a policy to try to take that into consideration. And what's wrong with that? Can I see something? Um, why is it necessary to represent the community that a university is in, in that university's enrollment? Well, I mean, I think I take the position. Colleges and universities absolutely need diversity. Diversity and gender, diversity and race, diversity and socioeconomic policies and socioeconomic status, diversity and sexuality, because you are teaching a generation of individuals how to think, how to go out into the world, how to act, how to survive. And if you only go from one perspective and you don't have the diverse process in place, it creates a problem. So there's no way that that university would be able to teach someone to go out into the real world to actually perform in a diverse society. So, I mean, that's why I think diversity matters for purposes of colleges and universities. I, I agree with some of what you said, right? And I, I think your race can uh, can be a factor, let's say, in predicting a lot of the struggles that you may have had, right? Why not just, let's say, judge their struggles based on how they struggle instead of assuming that because you were, you're this race, right? Because you're black or because you're Hispanic, you probably had this struggle. So let's give you the brownie points for said struggle. Because I understand the premise of the argument, right? It says, I get that this kid scored more than this kid on the SAT. So maybe he's smarter, but I also can recognize that this kid worked really, really hard and uh, only had, you know, he went to a rough school in a rough area where other kids were doing such and such. You know, he only had a mom at home, you know, who couldn't really help him with homework because she was busy on, you know, working three jobs. You know, I can understand that aspect of a person's background, their success. Why not just judge based on 
what he actually went through and not just assume that he went through something because of his race. Why do you presume that that's the underlying position that they have in, in taking affirmative action in colleges or what have you? Why do you think that they're assuming that this because this person is Black that they went through something or this person is Hispanic, they went through something. So we're going to give them brownie points. And by the way, it's not brownie point. No, it's it's, a, it's admission. It's preference in terms of admission. Let's say. But it's not preference. It's a factor among other factors. Like, let's take, for instance, that girl. I, I don't even know what damn school it was. I think it was Michigan. Okay. She took the whole case to the Supreme Court. The chick. Oh, no, it was in Texas. The chick never would have gotten to the school anyway. Okay. She didn't have the necessary score at that point. She would not have gotten into the school. They took this all the way to the Supreme Court to highlight this very issue that individuals who are non-white are are receiving preference and receiving brownie points and they're taking our spots. That That's the point of that lawsuit. It had nothing to do with her because even if she would have won the case, she was not going to be admitted. So affirmative action isn't necessarily I'm going to give you a brownie point because you're black. And oh, by the way, you damn skippy, I feel very strongly about this. The country has set groups of individuals up for failure since its inception. And we've never did anything to correct it. We sweep it under the rug and say, hey, you don't, you're not going through that anymore. Hey, slavery is, didn't exist. You're able to walk down the street now. But we don't take consideration of all the institutional barriers and baggage that comes with it because it's not important or people should just get over it. So, and now what you're trying to do is say, hey, you should be able to have the same, you should be able to study just as hard as me. But, oh, by the way, we don't, we don't live in the same school district where you are in a predominantly white school district and you have all the best computers in your school and you have all the best books in your school and you have all the technology and resources to do X, Y, and Z. So there, there is a total institutional barrier that creates that's created for many of people like Hispanics, African-Americans, Native Americans, like women. Affirmative action isn't just always about let me get the same number of blacks in the school as whites. That's not what it's about. But go ahead. Sorry. So um, let's just create a hypothetical here that's kind of based on what some people have actually said, right? Let's say you're an Asian kid and you're applying to um, an Ivy League university and you score on an SAT. Let's say you get the same score as a black kid or even slightly better. You get a couple more points than he did. You apply on the same day and then let's say the black kid gets accepted and the Asian kid is not. Is this an example of racism, right? This is this is the question at hand. Discrimination against an Asian American that the black kid got taken instead of him. What's the premise behind doing something like that? What's the basis for doing something like that? Well, the idea is you've got all these Asians doing well academically and they're showing up um, at high rates in Ivy League universities. And then there's a disparity, right? In terms of race, you have much less um, black kids or Hispanic kids, let's say, ending up in these universities. So to balance the scales or to try to even things out, you know, use quotas or affirmative action. I think it's a question of whether or not that's racist. And here's the thing. Maybe it's racist. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's something we disagree on. What I don't understand is why can't we just look at the Asian kid and say, uh, hey, it doesn't matter that he was Asian, but in this case, uh, he was in a single parent family or he came from a rough area. And why can't we look at the black kid and instead of looking at the fact that he's black, look at he was in a dual parent household, right? Or uh, he had plenty of money. You know, why can't we just judge based on what their circumstances were as opposed to what the color of their skin is? But, 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 no, one, but no, one, no one who supports affirmative action says differently. 
recently about diversity is also about background because the country has historically created avenues and barriers for individuals because of their color. So you don't get to create a situation where you get to step on my neck throughout years and then expect at the point of time where you decide to take your foot off my neck that I'm supposed to be able to get up and be in the same position as someone who never had to be placed in that position. Take housing. There have been local governments, federal government who have created policies in place to ensure that African-Americans are in a certain predicament when it comes to homes. And so the wealth, the generational wealth that comes from owning land, owning property, African-Americans have not been able to be in the same position as white individuals because of discriminatory policies. Sure, but there's black families in nice big houses with plenty of money and there's white families in a trailer. Devin, you cannot take the in ordinary to say that that's the position that most people are going to be in. Well, maybe not. Probably not. Maybe, maybe these are exceptions. But to account for the exceptions, why are we even bothering with race in the first place? Why not say, hey, if, if there are blacks, if 75% of people who um, are in low income housing in this area or are in single parent families in this area, 75% of them are black, then they're going to benefit from affirmative action anyway. And the 25% who are black, but are in great circumstances or have plenty of money, well, then they're going to be fine. So we'll just leave them to figure it out on their own, just like everybody else, right? Why not do that? Why does it have to be race-based? That's my issue with it. How do you account for the historical wrong? So you're saying that affirmative action should essentially be a form of reparations for black Americans. That's not what I'm saying. Well, what is a reparation? It's some kind of a Reparations are different. Well, I'm saying I'm saying affirmative. You're saying that affirmative action is almost should be used as a form of reparation, like a way of saying, hey, we're sorry for what we did. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I don't think there's anything wrong with companies or universities having affirmative action programs. Affirmative action programs don't always indicate that it's about race. It's about taking it's about allowing the university to take the whole person package of the individual in consideration other than just simply looking at a test score because a test score doesn't necessarily align with your success there's studies to show that so having a high sat doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be a productive student this is kind of a it's kind of a debate that we're having here without really saying of of uh validity of the male privilege argument right male white privilege yes well before you do that i just want the people to know that um, you've, you've got me so dithered up that I had to go and change my drink from coffee to now drinking to bourbon. I had to do some bourbon now because <laughs> I needed to calm myself down. You had to ease up, man. You had to break up those knots. Calm yourself down, man. See, this, this is a, this is an interesting episode here because this is something that I will say you're a lot more passionate about than I am. That's what I'm noticing here. You care a lot more about this subject than I do. You know, I'm speaking about it objectively. Allegedly. Well, go ahead. I'm speaking about it as, as this is interesting in a sense of it doesn't really affect me, right? I'm in college already anyway. It doesn't really change anything. Um, my major is, is pretty unrelated to this. You know, I'm not really going to be benefited or probably hurt from affirmative action either. Um, I would, I would say at least in my personal case, it, it, it means. Okay. Can you, but can you repeat that again? Yeah. Personally, I'm probably not affected by affirmative action. You said or hurt. 
by it. Or hurt by it, yeah. And most individuals, and I just want to point this out, yeah. most individuals are not hurt by it. There is a presumption that the person is in that position because they're Black and so they got an extra. But that's not always the case. But And and, and no one, I, I rarely, even in the cases that were brought in court about college admissions, I don't believe the individual who brought them was hurt by the policy. I think they were pissed at the fact that they didn't get in, but they were not hurt by the policy itself. Well, they're arguing that they would have gotten in if it weren't for the policy. But most of them would not have. Okay. I I, I do see what you're saying. Yeah, there's probably exceptions to this, but I'll give you an example. This is a common one, right? Michael Wong, who is an Asian American student applying to Harvard, the son of Chinese immigrants. He had a SAT score of 2,230. Yes, his great score. Excellent. And he didn't get in. Which is out of a possible 2,400. That's a great score. Oh my God. He's a genius. Go ahead. And, And a four point and a 4.67 weighted GPA. Wow. Go ahead. He was then whitelisted and rejected by Harvard and other Ivy League schools in 2013. And he believes that it was because of his race. Why does he think it was because of him, his race, or because of a program to let someone else in? Because many other students who didn't have an SAT score or GPA as high um, as his made it into Harvard. So he so he thinks, well, why wasn't this consistent with me? Because maybe they have enough of, of him in there. And I'm not talking about him being Asian. I'm talking about the fact that they have enough individuals who think because they have the highest score and the highest GPA that therefore they are a shoe-in into something. That's not how it works. Maybe his package sucked. Maybe he didn't show personality. Maybe in his personal statement, he lacked to convey why he should be part of the Harvard elite. There are a lot of other trailing factors that could be in there. Just because he has a 2,000 whatever on the SAT and a 4.67, kudos to him, very good. I'm glad he took his time, studied, and did all that. That doesn't necessarily give him a shoe in because that comes from privilege, the concept of privilege, that because I'm able to get X, Y, and Z, I absolutely need to have X, Y, and Z. And that's bullshit. But go ahead. Right. So something I want to ask you here, this is the question I was going to ask a bit, a little bit back, and it's um, if you're white, are you inherently privileged? Do you inherently have privilege? Yes, absolutely. White privilege is, is real, is relevant, and it's clear. And I don't care what anyone says. Right. So let's say you're white and you're poor and you live in a trailer and you're in a single parent family household. Are you still privileged as compared to a black person? If you're white, yes. White privilege is what white privilege is. Maybe you don't use it or know how to use it. So here's where I have a problem with saying that, right? I think in cases someone might have been in a position because of white privilege, right? Or because they were favored because they were white. I think there's also plenty of white people that um that are that don't have a leg up, you know, and that aren't benefiting from being white, right? So what I'm saying here is that I don't think being white is what makes you privileged. I think having um privileges is what makes you privileged. Like having a you know growing up in a rich family, I think that makes you privileged. Or no, no one is disagreeing with that. Let's say I'm the child of a couple millionaires and I live. Calabasas, right? I go to a nice school. All right. We got iPads. We got computers. We got the best teachers in the country. You know what? I go to a private school. All right. And I'm black. Maybe I'm Jay-Z's kid. Maybe I'm exception, right? Now, what I'm saying is this. Am I really underprivileged as compared to a white kid who doesn't have the money that I have or the resources that I have? Or am I more privileged than he is? Devin, I feel like you're a little too smart to take that position. I think my privilege outweighs his. You know, I think in this instance, the black kid has more privilege than the white kid does. 
because of his financial situation and where they get to go to school and the resources that they have at their disposal. But that's money. Take t take out the money. Mm, right. Socioeconomic. Exactly. Well, if you have money and a lot of it, you inherently have a lot as compared to someone who does not. Okay. So that's socioeconomic status. Money sees no rates. And if you have money, you can make things appear as if you have privilege, even no matter what color you are. White privilege is the fact that you're white, and because of that, you're going to get a pass or not be looked at differently in some aspect. You can take it straight to dealing with um, police brutality. I know you. I know you don't like social media. That's a different topic on another day. But I'm sure that you have seen memes or videos of white individuals just going rapid on police officers, cursing them out, attacking them, and the police officer is not being forceful with that person. That's white privilege. Black folks don't get that, okay? Black folks, you think about the Harvard professor who was going into his own home, get tackled by the police because they assume he didn't supposed to be there. A white person in his shoes would not receive that same treatment. Or take barbecue Becky, <laughs> who thinks that she could call the police on black folks who are just having a good time barbecuing because they didn't have a permit. That's the concept of white privilege. So it's not always about money. There are things that a white person will not inherently have to experience because they're white. Right. As in, you're not going to experience police brutality if you're white. I'm not saying that you would never, but you don't experience it in the same manner in which African-Americans have. Here's here's my deal with this, right? I think there's certainly been a lot of cases where in terms of police brutality or police shootings, um, it was a white person, a white cop being racist, let's say, and not giving a black person the benefit of the doubt where they would have given the benefit of the doubt to a white person. Now, there's also been cases where it was a black cop that shot a black kid or a black cop that beat up a black kid or treated him roughly you know and i think a lot of times the media blows it out of proportion and says it's racist it's racist look at what happened and i, I get it it's a, they have a job to do it's a story and it gets people fired up and rightfully so i think it is blown a bit out of proportion how because here's the deal it's really tough to quantify See, this is where where white privilege becomes something that it's like, hey, if I feel it's there because I'm black and I can just tell, you know, I can tell from the way people look at me, you know, this is something that you feel and that's something that I'll probably never be able to understand because I'm not really white, but I'm not really like not white, you know, so chances are I'm not going to be, you know, According to what you're saying, chances are I'm not going to be discriminated against or favored in a lot of cases. Now, what I do mean to say is this, right? It's tough to prove in an instance like police brutality, you know, well, why did they do what they did? Were they just getting a bad vibe off of this person? You know, did they see something about them? Did they recognize them? Or was it just uh, just based on because they were black? What would they have done in a similar situation if they were white? Honestly, we'll never know. So we just have to go with well, they were probably racist, right? And this is where it gets tough to quantify. So this is why white privilege, I'm telling you here, is something that a lot of people don't believe in and you know what you might be able to convince me you, know, you might be able to convince me that being white gives you an inherent level of privilege but you're not going to convince a lot of people and the reason why is because it's so tough to prove you see what i'm saying you don't need statistics they're, 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 you don't need statistics. Statistics can be used for you, against you. You can have the same statistics that say it proves X, Y, and Z. Another statistician will come in and look at those same statistics and give you why it doesn't work. You don't need that. For anyone to assume that every race is on the same plane and on the same level playing field, they're delusional. There's no other word. I find it laughable that folks are saying that you need statistics 
to be able to prove that there's a such thing as white privilege. Many do. I'm telling you right now, that's the argument among a lot of people that don't believe in it. But that's because they don't. That's because they don't want to accept the fact that they have that privilege. But they can say just as easily that you don't want to accept the fact that uh, that don't have privilege. You know what I'm saying? This kind of becomes my word against his. He says it's there. I say it's not. People say I'm white and such and such happens to me and I get pulled over and you know whatever cops assume things about me sometimes but nobody ever says boo about it right and they say well where's my white privilege you know and so it becomes well that's my experience and this is where people start taking their opinions or their personal experiences and anecdotes and treating it as if it's a fact or an overwhelming statistics this is where you get people saying it's my truth right my truth is this this is my experience no it's just your opinion and you know it's not what always happens right so let me ask you Devin, do you subscribe to the opinion that there is no white privilege personally speaking do i believe in the idea of white privilege Honestly, I'm not sure in some ways, but I will say this. I don't think that being white inherently gives you privilege. I think, however, though, that a lot of people who are white can use their their race as a privilege. But isn't that inherently the fact that you're white, that you can do that? What do you mean? You said that there, you do believe that there are white people who could use the fact that they're white as a privilege. Right. But that's inherently you having white privilege. The fact that you can do that at your leisure or not is inherent that you there is a thing of white privilege means you have the privilege yeah but i see what you're saying in terms of you go on a job interview and you have similar qualifications to that of a black person but because you're white you know you're favored or the person just trusts you more because maybe they're white too and they feel more comfortable with you or they grew up in a white neighborhood or you go to a uh interview and at the interview say oh you're very articulate why are you telling me that? So you're, so you're you're saying that if if someone tells you as a black man that you're articulate, that that's a, that that's racist. I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. But there are clues that you can hard on to because that's not something that you would normally say in an interview. You don't say that to everyone. That you're articulate. It's like, oh, well, you're educated. Right. What a surprise. It's like kind of the what it insinuates. Correct. Which I understand. Yeah, it's uh, demeaning. It's condescending for sure. Correct. It's, it's denigrating my who I am. It's denigrating what I worked so hard to be. So if you're a black person, right, and you present yourself well in an interview and you speak with authority and you're an educated person, it's going to reflect well on you naturally. And if you don't, it's not going to. Right. But see, fundamentally, all those attributes that you gave to a successful black candidate. Yeah. It's fundamentally the problem. Well, it applies to white people too, right? If a white person doesn't speak well or doesn't speak um, articulately or in an educated manner on his interview, he's get very far either. Certain minority groups have to do more sometimes in an interview than a white person needs to do because there is an inherent level of trust placed into the fact that this white person is coming in to the interview and the black person needs to be able to speak with authority needs to be articulate needs to have the educational background needs to be able to show me he needs to convince you that yes convince me that he knows doing uh, where the white per person doesn't have to do that that again goes back to white privilege Okay. See, this I have heard before, and this I can agree with. I think a lot of times, and you know, maybe you're right on this. You know, you might be changed about my dear because yeah, there are instances, right, where if you're a white person going for a job or going for a position, or you're looking to be selected, you just got to be competent, and that's enough. If you're a black person, you have to be top of the list. It has to be obvious that you are the best of everybody, and then you'll be considered good enough. Right, you have to be so good that no one can deny it. Whereas for a white person, people will say, "Oh, he's good enough. Let's take him." I mean, there are, and there are cases where the black person just is not the most qualified candidate. I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, 
it, it's very difficult to to solve the problem today, right? Yeah, which is why I'm, my next question was going to be, you know, we've obviously discussed affirmative action, no matter how good or bad we think it is, at the end of the day, it's a flawed system. I, I would agree there's flaws in the system, yes. And so my thing would be, being that as we've kind of demonstrated here, it's really tough to quantify, you know, who's benefiting from white privilege and who's not. Well, first off, do you think it's necessary to further even the plane, let's say, or do more to elevate minorities? And second, if yes, right, um, then what practical measures would you take? Or what would you want to implement to do so? What are you talking, reparations or, or XYZ? What, what's your... Reparations is a total different topic, but I will say this, that reparations have been, at least for African-Americans, have been introduced by Congressman Conyers, God rest his soul, every, every session since, I want to say, the 70s. It has never received a full, thoughtful debate in Congress. This last go-round, there was a hearing on it, which was a, a one step up. Um, but my soundbite for reparations is, yes, they need to occur. In which form? I don't know. American gave reparations to Japanese. American gave reparations to Native Americans. Now, the reparations was money. And how you go about that, I don't know. But I do think reparations is something that's necessary because, but for the fact that African Americans were brought to this country in chains, in bondage, and held here 400 years without having any say-so about it, and built this country from fucking scratch, absolutely reparations are needed. And you don't need to call it reparations. Call it fucking back pay that you never paid us, okay? <laughs> so. Yes, I'm a firm believer of reparations. Yes. Hang, hang on here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be devil's advocate for a second. Play devil advocate all you want. So I'm going to tell you what the common, and you, I'm sure you've heard it, the common argument is against reparations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, black people got brought in on ships against their will, whatever, through the African slave trade and then the, the transatlantic slave trade got brought here against their will and they had to work and, and they were raped and they were abused and, and they didn't work. Right, they were slaves. Right, <laughs> but go ahead. They, they, they did work that they didn't want to do and they didn't get paid for it and they got they were treated horribly, right? So here's the deal. The argument against it is, well, okay, that's that's good and well, but what does that have to do with you, Sean? It has everything. It has it has. It has everything to do with me. Why do I pay you money? That never happened to you. That's the that's the common argument. The same way that they paid Japanese descendants reparations that didn't have anything to do with them being placed in Japanese internment camps. So maybe one generation separated. Yeah, I can understand. It, it doesn't matter whether it's one one generation or two. Like if it happened to your parents, then it certainly affected your background, right? No. Okay. You said because directly my if my parent was a slave, then yes, I could see how it. Right. Okay. And in, in the case of a Japanese often what would happen was the government would seize their property and, and their business and would relocate them. And then even after they got released, they wouldn't get their home back right? Mm -hmm. so, or the store back. So you might go from having a nice house in a good area to now having nothing, right? That's a big chunk of your net worth that just got tossed down the drain. And so now you have to start fresh. Well, because slavery in and of itself has taken any possibility for African-Americans for over 400 years going into even after slavery was emancipated, has taken the opportunity for these African-Americans to get any of this land, to get any of these homes, to get any of the institutional wealth that quote unquote America was created so that people can come here, prosper and do X, Y, and Z. So it, it is a historical carrying over effect. I'm not, I wanna ask you something here. 
you personally, how did slavery 400 years ago affect your life? How did it personally affect me? Yeah. The historical scars. That's how. Slavery was just the beginning, but then institutional slavery continued. The policies, the practices, the discriminatory manner in which it was done to ensure that a subset of individuals, aka African Americans, cannot be as successful as non-African Americans. That's how. The educational system that was rigged from the beginning against African Americans. That's another reason how. The thing with slavery is, you know, America is supposed to be a place where you can come here from anywhere in the world, get started, work hard and prosper, and, you know, attain the so-called American dream, right? Attain wealth, buy a house, whatnot. And these are things that, you know, get an education. These are things that you have been able to do and things that you have done and been, from what I can tell, awfully successful at. But that doesn't mean that it didn't come with struggle. That doesn't mean it didn't come with struggle. It always comes with struggle. Success typically comes from struggle, unless you're Kylie Jenner. And let me be very clear before you go on. Let me make my yeah. point very clear on that. Nor does it erase the historical wrongs that caused me to have to struggle as a result of it. Okay? No, but your success does call into question how much the historical wrongs affected you. It does, no, it does, it does not. It does not call into question. Why not? When people see you and they say, well, look, he was able to do it. So then what's the big deal? That's what the argument is. Because that's the safe argument. And that's the, that's the argument of, hey, stop complaining. We gave you something. Shut up and keep moving. That, that is the argument. Okay? But that doesn't erase. That doesn't take care of. That does not take into account the historical wrongs that has occurred. It is a safe argument. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Point blank to end. Like, this was just the 60s when Martin Luther King was marching, right? Then you had the Million Man March, which was in the 90s, and came back again. And so, without fail, it's based upon historical wrongs. I mean, I, I don't understand why folks don't recognize that. See, th this is where it gets into the idea of, are your sins forgiven when you die, or are they passed on to your, are the sins of the Father the sins of the Son? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you know, even people who might be 400 years removed or many generations from having any relation to a plantation owner or a slave owner, many of them will, will say, well, that has nothing to do with me. I came into this earth. I'm not a racist. Why should I have to pay money? This is my hard-earned money, right? That's what they're going to say. And on the other hand, who pays the reparations? Who's hard-earned money? They'll say, well, they'll say it's my hard-earned money. But it's not. That whatever I earned in this life since I was born. But it's not. Why should I have to pay for my great-great-great-grandfather plantation on which he, he took 600 slaves? To me, that's an elementary argument. But it's the argument that's going to be made. I'm telling you right now. I don't care what you're telling me. I'm telling you it's an elementary argument. Because you pay taxes to the government, period. Now, you might find a way to get from paying your share of taxes, but you pay taxes. You as a citizen don't get to sue the government be because of how they use that tax money. You don't have standing to do that, point blank, period, the end. So all of that is bullshit arguments. No one is saying, we're going to take money from you so that you can pay to African-Americans. No one is saying that. That, that. that argument, though, is one that's been raised and it's a talking point. But the reality is, it's bullshit. So the reparations would be paid for by tax? I don't know. Government is creative of figuring out how to move money, how to determine where to put money. And reparation doesn't necessarily mean that everyone needs to get a paycheck. There could be a, a plethora of ways and avenues in which reparations could be funneled back to those communities that were historically wrong because of governmental policies and procedures. So government needs to fucking figure it out. All right, here's... Okay, 
this is this is interesting how we kind of by chance conclude back to where we started right here's my issue with this you can't ask for something to happen and then not propose a logistically sound way to go about implementing the policy that you're fighting for so you can't say reparations i want reparations but how because logistical problem abc well government you're creative figure it out this is the problem i have when students get on campuses and yell up about you know what's a problem but that's that's good and well you can speak out against something you don't like but if you're not offering a practical solution or a way to go about it then you can't realistically expect it to be implemented okay i'll give you i'll give you two that come to mind no let me give you there could be grant that can be used oh. and actually used mm -hmm. for underprivileged businesses there are grants that can be created that will allow individuals to have access to a higher education there are grants that can be used to to create sort of like not on the job training but sort of like some kind of training process so that individuals can receive jobs and things like that. There are a lot of things that can occur. You can give checks if they wanted to give checks. There are things that can be done. So you're suggesting a paycheck that just goes out to every black person. I didn't suggest that. I said, I'm But you're saying it's a possibility. It is a possibility. Right. Yes. So here's my, my, my issue with it. And I think where the logistical nightmare comes in with reparations is not so much with how do you give out the money? There's tons of ways you can give out money or give people ways to earn a grant. Now, where this gets tough is who pays that money? If it's a tax, does it only apply to descendants or proven descendants of a plantation owner? If it's a tax on the entire country, then do black people pay this tax as well? We're also U.S. citizens. If it only applies to white, like is a Hispanic going to pay for reparations even though he was in Mexico last year? You know, am I going to pay taxes that go towards reparations for black people even though you know the the only white part of my family came from italy in like the 50s and had nothing to do with the rest of this and my mom's indian i mean this is where the logistical nightmare comes in the answer to that is absolutely you came to america you decided to be a part of america and so you take america for what it is the good the bad the ugly and if that means that the money is going to be used for something to, to take care of its wrong, so be it. Okay, this is going to crack you up. You're going to find this funny, okay? I'm not going to find it funny. Let's say, let's say, let's say you're African, right? So you immigrate from Ghana, okay? You're one of like the, the you know, like, like you're still like speaking with the Black Panther accent, okay? You got the, why is a certain race being rewarded? You know, that kind of thing. Like you're straight up from Ghana. You're not African-American. You were never affected probably by the by slavery in america right let's say you're coming from tanzania whatever the case be you immigrate here now you are black but you weren't here for the whole slavery episode or the whole jim crow episode so then do you get paid reparations because you're black even though you were never even affected by slavery if you really want to ask my answer to that i don't give a shit where you come okay that's that's logistical though this, this is like a logistical nightmare that's not no that's no 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 that's but that's, that's not logistical because you as a citizen don't do anything logistically for the government. How do how do you, Devin, as a citizen who pays taxes, deal with how Medicare is taken care of? I don't, other than electing politicians who propose policies. You don't. How do you, Devin, as a citizen, deal with the logistics of welfare? I don't, yeah. Yeah, you don't, okay? You don't. How do you, how do you, Devin, as a citizen, deals with the logistics of where money is sent internationally to help whatever country 
the government decides to help? How do you logistically deal with that? I, I don't get a say. You don't. And so you won't get a say. So logistically, it's not a nightmare. Well, does, does the guy from Ghana get paid or not? That's a big deal. That's not a big deal because right there, that's such a stupid hypothetical. But there's plenty of people that are Africans that are here and that live here and they are black, but they had nothing to do with slavery. Okay, well, we do have a, we certainly, here's how you could deal with that. Because we definitely do have an immigration system. And so if they came here through the immigration system, they would be in the system. And so those people could be discounted for the purpose of reparations. You can you you can use your government registry to deal with it. You can trace back. This is the point of the census, right? You can trace back to how long generations of these families have been in play. But here is the problem, okay? And this is America's problem. And because of that, I don't give. This is why I go to the end point of I don't give a shit who you are, where you come from, what is. If you're black, you can get a check. And here's why, okay? Because America created its own issue. America, when it did a census, when it, you go back and you look at the records, they didn't count African-Americans as individuals, okay? Right, it was uh, one third or, or two two thirds, right? You wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to tell me who was descended from whom because they didn't give a shit about who right. was descended from whom. If you look at the census, they would say Joe Lewis, right? Some white man on the plantation, five Negroes or five Negro females or 15 Negro males, because who they were did not matter. They were chattel. The existence of that person did not right. matter. So there is not going to be a historical record. So that's America's problem. And so now what individuals are trying to say is, oh, this is a logistic, that's all bullshit, because no one was caring about the logistic problems when fucking slaves were over here building this and building that. No one was thinking about that. Okay? So all this shit, oh, it's 400 years removed. That's all bullshit. Complete bullshit. Because here's the thing. The Native Americans, when America came and took their land, that happened, what, in the 1700s? But reparations are still being made that way, is it not? Yes, absolutely it is. So what's the logistic nightmare there? Now, and I think Native Americans should have it. Okay? Don't get me wrong. I think they should. And they should have more. But that what's the logistic nightmare there of finding out if an individual today was part of that tribe? Well, logistically, here's how they do it there. Right. It's like if you can claim 25%, it's if you, essentially if you can prove 25% or more, I think it is, ethnicity as a Native American. No, you're wrong. It depends on the, it depends on the tribe. The tribe gets to dictate how to determine who was part of that tribe because Native Americans are a sovereign nation. So no, you're inaccurate. So then, so the money goes straight to the tribe leaders. Didn't say the money goes to tribe leaders. What I've said is every individual tribe gets to dictate how to determine whether a person is part of that tribe because they're a sovereign nation, okay? Oh, okay. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So if somebody's part of that tribe, then they're and they're proven to be, then you know they they get the reparations. Is what you're saying? The money may not go to the individuals; it may go to the tribe. I just want I just wanted to be clear that it's not 25 percent for every tribe. The tribe gets to determine who is part of their tribe, and I want to respect that. So go ahead. So here's where here's where it becomes tough on the other end. The tribal thing kind of makes it easy for the government, right? It's a, it's a simple way of, here, just take the money and you figure it out and we paid our dues, right? Create an agency to deal with that. Simple. There are manners in which they can do it. They can do it if they want to. Right. The point being is this, is that 
The conversation is not even being had because no one really thinks it's that serious. It's being dismissed at face value. Yeah. Correct. And no one is taking the time, energy, or effort to deal with it. All right. Now, here's what I will say is that we've been going on and on. <laughs> <laughs> about these topics yeah this has been some interesting discussion i gotta say like it's been you know if it makes me think it means the person listening to this is probably gonna think too right so yeah there there's a lot to unpack with this type of thing and and i think we we may in the future but as you can see it's a passionate topic it's a topic that requires conversation and i appreciate you even trying to have the conversation because maybe if people have more of these open conversations we could get to better solutions, or maybe we could get to a place where individuals may determine that reparations is not the necessary way to go. However, you can't have that conversation if you outright dismiss it from the beginning. You know, if you ask me, I think that's one of the current top struggles in this country. It's the lack of ability to have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you or who's on the other side of the political aisle is is dangerous, you know, when, when we step into that territory, right? Because a lot of people, especially when they're younger, I think, like to be reaffirmed in what they already believe. And, you know, you get into the echo chambers and, hey, I'm only going to listen to your opinion if, you know, you agree to this premise, right? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that people would be able to have this conversation if they drink, listen, and converse more. So that is the episode. I want to thank Devin. Devin, thank you for being here. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate you having me. No, I appreciate you being here. All right, so the theme music for Peach Cafe was created by my brother, Rick, for Blazing Heat Music out of Detroit, Michigan. Please be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, and be sure to come back to the cafe. Until next time, remember to continue to drink, listen, and converse. Peace and love. Hey, hey,